here. All right, I am on. Okay. All right, great. Well, last week we left off, and I moved the material from last week that was left to the front of this week's handout. Just, I like to give you a fresh handout so you know where we're starting each week. And uh, so last time we talked, um, we left off right at this issue, and that's the problem for the atheist. And so that's where we want to jump in tonight, the problem for the atheist. Um, and I need a handout. Can somebody run me a handout, Brother Brett? Sorry, I forgot to grab one. <coughs> innate truth what now? On the top of last week's, on the back of last week's paper, no one is born an atheist? Oh. Yeah, that's where we left. Yeah, and then we're getting ready to talk about the atheist now. So the, the problem for the atheist is this. To acknowledge uh, the existence um, of evil they must also recognize the existence of good. And so, and so what you have is because they don't want to accept a biblical worldview that says there's a God that exists, that's good. But if they're going to acknowledge the existence of evil, there has to be an opposite to evil and that opposite is good. So because of that, it presents, it presents uh, the atheist w with a huge problem uh, because you got a couple of questions then. Who determines what is evil or good? Who makes that determination? Because if we took a survey in this room tonight, even though we're all here on a Wednesday night, we all love each other, and hopefully we do, and uh, we're all here, we're friends with each other. If I took a survey of some very serious issues of life and asked you, is this a good thing or an evil thing, we would probably come out of the night with some different answers. Even though we're all kind of like-minded, we're all here at church together, we all love each other, we would come out with some different viewpoints because we all think differently than each other. So, so part of the problem becomes who determines what is evil and what is, and what is good. And so there's a simple solution that for us as, as believers, as Christians, there's a very simple solution. God determines what is evil and what is good, and he determines it and spells it out for us in his word. That's how it's determined. Good and evil is determined by God's word. It's the filter through which we live our life. But to the atheist, this is, this is a huge problem. Because if he doesn't want to acknowledge a good God, then, then he, what does he do with evil? So, so some atheists struggle with this so much that they will actually deny the existence of evil. Like, they'll just, there's no evil in the world. Now, that's hard. That's really hard for me to fathom, folks, isn't it? There's no evil in this world. What about murders that take place every day? What about people getting raped that take place every day? What about child trafficking that takes place? I mean, those are evil. So for the atheist, if he's so struggling with this, for him to be able to come out and just say, well, there's no evil then either. There's no good, but there's no evil. It's just, to me, kind of preposterous. But Richard Dawkins, this is, uh, he, he um, calls belief in God a delusion. And this is what he says. He says, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. 
So his view as an atheist is there, there's nothing. There's no evil. There's no good. There's no this. There's no that. And, and you know, folks, <laughs> and then he says nothing but pitiless indifference. I, I would hate to live my life that way. Amen. That's got to be a sad existence. Like Why? Yeah, it sounds like he hates life. I mean, it's just like, it's like, really, if you really got to live your life that way, if you really got to take your belief system to a point where basically there, there's no good, no evil, no nothing, it's just this is the, what we're supposed to have, and, and, and it's pitiless indifference, uh, that's a sad state to be in. What would be the point? Yeah, what, you, really, what's the point of living then? I mean, if this is all there is, and it's all sad, it's all indifferent, it's all pitiful, why, why live life? Well, that's where a lot of people come to that philosophy that Simon's come to, the eat, drink, and be merry philosophy, uh, because of that. And so, um, so, with this, so we, we have to understand, though, that this is where, this is the problem where atheism takes you. It takes you to a point at which you, if you're really going to take it to its nth degree, then there's no good or evil. And, uh, and so it becomes a real, and it's a real problem for them to deal with. So, part of the issue now is this also, uh, man has a moral purpose. And so that's your next note under with this pro problem in mind. Some atheists claim that evil does not exist. God gives to man a moral purpose. A moral purpose. Now, we've talked about it before. What is the purpose of man? The purpose of man is to what? Glorify God. That is our moral purpose in life. We exist. To glorify God. Now you can plug other things in there. You know, we're supposed to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. Yes, we are. But if we're if we're glorifying God, we're going to be reaching the world with the gospel of Christ. But our our purpose for existence is to glorify God. I, I shared, I think, on Sunday that Brian and Jossie just spent a week up at family camp in New York where her, her brother and sister-in-law run a Christian camp up there. And they, they had a speaker in and the entire week was spent dealing with the issue of God's existence and why man exists. Because this is such a huge issue for people today. Does God exist, number one? And why does man exist? What is my purpose? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Do I have purpose in life? Because a lot of people go through life without purpose. They just live life. They party. They, they you know... Whatever in life, they have no purpose, no aim, no direction. They just kind of float through life because they don't, they don't feel like they have a purpose. But man does have a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God. And when man determines not to fulfill his moral purpose, it leads to a life without purpose. So Romans 1, and we're going we're gonna to hit Romans 1 a couple of times tonight at a couple of different points in tonight's discussion. But Romans 1, verses 22 and 23, it says this, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So first thing we see there, when, when man fails to fulfill his moral purpose, when man fails to fulfill the purpose of glorifying God, when he won't do that, what happens over time is he begins to trend over to a life that has no purpose. And we get to this verse, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. They become fools. They think they're wise. They think they're smart. 
They think they've got it all figured out. But the problem is they're not doing it the way God created it to be done. And so they end up coming to this point and and they be, there's a problem there because uh, of this issue. And and we see that, you know, the 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 Greeks, um, it, you know, they worshiped many gods, including the likeness of many animals. Um, and yet they rejected the one true God, which was really interesting. We'll look at that a little bit later uh, in a little bit different portion of this. But uh, but the fact of the matter is we have a moral purpose and there's a reason for our existence. As a matter of fact, we're going to get to, as we close out our study of Ecclesiastes uh, this week, we're going to get to the end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13 and 14. It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. So why I exist to glorify God. How, part of how I glorify God is how? I fear Him and I keep His commandments. I obey His Word. That's how I glorify Him in my life by living a life that's honoring and pleasing to Him. So we, we had, we've been talking about, and where this led in, we were talking about the revelation of God and the, we were talking about the innate truth, the unique intellect, all part of inner revelation. Now we want to go into external revelation. So back over to Romans where we just were and, but uh, earlier verse, verse 20. In Romans 1 and verse 20, we read this. It says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, let's break that verse down. Really listen to what that verse says. That verse says the invisible things of, God, of, of him, referring to God, the things that we can't see, it says those things are clearly seen being understood by what? By the things that are made, by creation. So the invisible things that we can't see about God, we can still understand about God by looking where? Looking at His creation. And He does that, and it includes understanding His eternal power and the Godhead. And why does He do it? He answers the question, why? So that they are without excuse. See, no man is ever going to be able to say, well, I just didn't know there was a God that existed. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Because all men are without excuse because of external revelation. Now, two aspects of external revelation are, are these. Number one is revelation of cause. Revelation of cause. And the first point there is we live in a world of cause and effect. We live in a world of cause and effect. And, um, you know, there's a good example would be would be a fruit on a tree. You have an apple. The cause of the apple was the tree. The cause of the tree was the seed. Uh, the seed has to have a cause. So, so, you know, each thing falls back on there's something that caused it to happen. You know, if 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 Albie suddenly has a bloody nose. The cause was because I walked up and punched him. There was a cause and effect, right? He got a bloody nose because I walked over and socked him in the nose. And so there's a cause, me punching him in the nose, and there's an effect, his nose starts to bleed. And, uh, and that's a cause. So we live, in a, we live in a world of cause and effect. And, and if we keep going backwards in the cause and effect 
eventually we have to arrive where? At the first cause, which is what? God. See, if you take, if you take cause and effect and just keep going backwards, this had to have this cause, this had to have this cause, this had to have this cause, eventually you're going to end up where you're at the first cause, which is God. God existed. God has always existed. And so there was, there was a first cause, and that first cause is, is God. And so we, we need to understand that. Now, this argument, this revelation of cause, is often referred to in, in theological books as the cosmological argument. This also is also referred to as the cosmos. And the cosmological argument, the word cosmo comes from cosmos, which means world. And so the argument is this. The cosmos or world exists, therefore there must be a cause. Because it exists, the world, we, we live in a world today, right? We're here on planet Earth. It exists. Earth exists. So there must have been a cause for Earth to exist. Now, for the evolutionist, his cause is, well, several things depending on which evolutionist you're listening to. Uh, you know, there was an explosion in outer space, and then the next thing you know, man's walking on the earth after several millions of years and several different things happening. I mean, that's one cause. Then, there, then there's some people that say, you know, uh, God, God did create some of this stuff, but then he just left it to its own for it to go any way it wanted to go, and God just walked, basically created it, walked away from it, and said, you know, I hope it all works out. That's not how it works either, not according to Scripture at least. And so, uh, but there's lots, of, there's lots of arguments in the evolutionary theory as to how this world exists. Because if the world exists, there has to be a cause from it. So let me also at this point mention this, and I waited until now until we were talking about evolution. So Justin's, where's Justin now? I just saw Justin's grandfather about 32 years ago. Justin's grandfather was uh, an evangelist. And about 32 years ago, he wrote a book called Ammunition for Piercing the Armor of the Philosophy of Evolution. So it's basically a book helping to de debunk the theory of evolution. So anyway, Justin had a case of these books. So I brought the case tonight, and you're welcome to a free book when you leave if you want one to read to study up on evolution. That would be a good resource to look at from a biblical perspective. And so, um, so but anyway, but everything has to have a, a, a cause there's chapel in his in the book we're using as the uh, in this uh, series uh, states that to try to explain this starting point, one noble prize winning physicist simply stated this in the beginning. There was an explosion. Boy, that's real scientific. <laughs> I mean, this is a physicist, folks. And his explanation is, in the beginning, there was an explosion. I don't know about you, but it's a whole lot easier for me to believe in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. I mean, I'm just, it's a whole, that's a whole lot simpler for me to believe than in the beginning there was an explosion. But, uh, but that's, I mean, that's a Nobel winning physicist that, that, that said that. Uh, Hebrews, Hebrews 11, and verse 3 says, through faith, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear through faith. There's an element of faith in every belief system. Because the evolutionists will say to you, you didn't see God create the heaven and earth. Well, you didn't see the Big Bang that you claim started everything either. Both belief systems take faith. 
both belief systems, yes. Isn't one of the first rules of science that you have, in order to prove the theory, you have to be able to recreate it? Recreate the, rec recreate the theory, yeah. Nobody's done the Big Bang again. Yeah, no, it's not happened again. Nobody's done evolution. Yeah. So what they say constantly is that, well, we haven't had enough years have gone by for it to repeat itself. Well, and say and if, millions. Yeah, well, and if you notice, they, they, because of more and more scientific discovery, they keep adding years yeah. to that. To, you know, it used to be, you know, it was, it was 100 million years, then it was 200 million years, and that's 300, you know, they just, because, because science keeps proving what? It keeps proving what this Bible. book says. Yeah. <laughs> science, when it, when it, proven out it proves the scriptures not evolution and so they keep having to change things to 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 make it so that they can argue from their point of view but the fact of the matter is whether you're an evolutionist or a creationist you got to have some faith somewhere so the question is which faith is easier to have is it easier to believe that an explosion took place and this world was formed and next thing you know we had man or is it easier to believe that god in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and then over the next few days, he created everything we have, which is easier to believe. I find it much easier to believe in, in what God says. But, um, you know, evolution says that we are nothing more than a molecule in motion, basically, that, you know, we're, we're a molecule that keeps changing and blah, 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 and we go from there. So, so, because, so, we're, so we're looking at this. We got, we got the uh, revelation of cause. And then next we have number two there near the bottom of the page. We have revelation of creation. Revelation of creation. Now, here's, here's where we want to talk about some things, and I want to read you an illustration. Let me just read you an illustration from this book because it, it sums it up pretty well. Um, Okay, so let me just read you an illustration of this book and, and see what you think about it. He says, for the sake of illustration, talking about the evolutionist versus the creationist, he says, let's say that you have all the pieces from a watch. Not a watch like we were today, but the old watches that had gears and springs and hands and all those things that moved. He says, you have all the pieces for, from a watch, springs, gears, hands, etc., uh, which reveal a cause. Someone had, someone made the pieces, right? The pieces just... You, know, you weren't out on a walk one day and here's all the pieces of a watch sitting on the pathway, right? Somebody had, to, somebody had to make the pieces. But they're not assembled. So you take the pieces, all the pieces of a watch that's not assembled, you put them in a box, you shake the box up really good, you open the box, and you got a brand new Rolex. Does that make sense, right? You know, you put all those parts in the box, you shake the box up, you open the box, and here's a brand new Rolex all put together, keeping time perfectly as we know they do, right? And so uh, that's what happens, right? No, that's, that's, we, we, we all know that's absolutely insane. That is not, if you could sit there for a hundred years shaking that box, it's never going to put itself together as a watch. And the reason for that is what? What is the reason for that? Things don't improve, they what? Degrade. They de degrade or deteriorate. The laws of thermodynamics. You buy a brand new car. You drive it one block and a rock throws and chips your windshield, right? I mean, it just, I just got my windshield tripped in my truck heading down to Richmond the other day to grandma's house. A truck threw a rock and it chipped my windshield. And not that my truck is new anyway, but you know, what happened? They degrade, right? 
You know, I, I mean, I, I don't know about if you like cars, you know, you, you're really, you know, you're really passionate. I'm like, ah, ah, this car's never going to have a scratch on it. It's never going to be dirty. It's never going to have a smudge. I'm going to keep it perfect when I buy it. But you know what? It doesn't last, does it? It's going to get smudges. It's going to get scratches. You drive it out, just the dust that hits it is going to wear the paint and, you know, fog up your lenses on your headlights and stuff. Why? Because things don't improve with time. They deteriorate with time. Think of the human body. We what? We're born, and as soon as we're born, we begin to what? We begin to die. Literally, that's the truth. The human body begins to die the moment it's born. Now, there's a process to that where the body grows some and, you know, you gain some intelligence and stuff. But you're basically on a curvature that you're going to die someday because the laws of thermodynamics teach us things don't improve. So, so evolution has a huge problem because everything in the science world says things don't improve. So the whole theory of evolution is about things improving. We have an explosion, then we have gases, then we have some animal and something in the water slithering along, then all of a sudden the thing decides it wants legs, then all of a sudden the thing's crawling on all fours, then all of a sudden the thing's standing up, then all of a sudden the thing gets rid of some of its hair, and we have man. Boom. So all these improvements. And folks, this has been going on for years and decades and decades that people are bought into this philosophy that's taught basically in every public school in our nation that things are improving when really things are breaking down. But so, so, we, but we, so we have this, this idea that creation, uh, creation has order. And that's our, our point there uh, at the very bottom of the page. Creation has order. Look at 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40 says this simply, let all things be done decently and in order. See, folks, God is a God of order. He is. He's a God of order. How, how did he create this world? It was orderly. He created it in a logical way, Right? If you study the Genesis account of creation, there was logic in how and the order in which it was created, ending at the creation of mankind in the image of God. But it was orderly. It made sense. He divided the light from the darkness, the land from the water. Then he starts dropping creatures onto the earth in different, you know, in the water, on the land, different things like that. And eventually we end up with man, at man creating the image of God. There's an order to it. You turn back to Psalm, Psalm 119 and uh, verse 89. Psalm 119 verse 89 says this. It says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The, thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and it abideth. See, folks, one of the things that, that we, we have to come to grips with understanding creation, it's not just the fact that God created this earth. God sustains this earth. Amen. See, the evolutionist basically says once that big bang took place, the rest is just history. It just kept going from there and we're part of the history after the big bang. But God created this earth but he sustains it. 
That's why the scriptures have verses that talk about Jesus Christ. What? Who is our life. He brings to us life. He sustains our life. You realize every single one of us is literally one breath away from death. Literally. If, if God decided today that I was going to stop breathing, I'm dead. I'm done. If God decides that. We are literally one breath away from death. But creation has order. But then on the back side of the page, the next thing notice is creation shows a designer. Creation shows a designer. Um, and so we want to understand that as well. We can go back to the, to the, to the watch illustration just for a minute and, uh, and think about that. Creation has a designer and, and we understand that that watch doesn't build itself. You have a, you know, you, you know, back in the days, of course, watches now are all pretty much most people wear digital watches today, but back in the day, you know, people bought very expensive watches that were built by very talented watchmakers because they were precise. You know, I, I can remember, I worked at Kmart back in the day when Kmart was a big deal before Walmart was a much bigger deal. And I, I spent several years working in the, in the camera and jewelry department. I've sold a lot of Seiko watches in my lifetime, more than I ever want to know about. A lot of Citizen watches and Boulevard watches. And I mean, we, we sold expensive watches all the time. And why were they expensive? Because they were accurate. They were precise. Why? Because somebody who knew what they were doing put those pieces together in a way that they would work accurately. And that's, that's what takes place. So creation shows a desire. Matter of fact, if you go to Psalm 19, Psalm 19 speaks very clearly to that issue. Uh, Psalm 19 and starting verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter a speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. What does that verse say? It says the heavens declare the glory of God. Amen. And the firmament, the earth, the land showeth his handiwork. Listen, folks, you, you can't look around in this world and not appreciate the creativity of God. Right. You look at the animal kingdom. I, I mean, just any, you know, we, we went down to Pigeon Forge just last year and, and there's, a, there's a place there, there's a bird sanctuary in Pigeon Forge called uh, Paradise, Paradise Mountain, Parrot Mountain, Paradise Mountain, Parrot Mountain, I think it is, Parrot Mountain. And they literally have thousands of birds there of all different types and the colors and, and, and the stuff is just it's amazing to watch and then then they have a section where you can feed all these big huge macaws and stuff and they'll 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 perch right on your finger or your arm and you can sit there and feed them and you watch i mean you're looking right at that huge beak coming in and going down on that little seed and cracking that seed and and opening it and swallowing it leaving the shell behind and it's like it's it's like you can't help but wonder what a wonderful creator created that bird that he can do that with his beak Crack those seeds open. Get what's inside of them. Leave the rest behind in your hand. It's amazing. The colors 
are amazing on those on those birds. And that's just some birds. That's not all the birds. It's just some of them. And then you've got all the other animals in creation. It's just amazing. And that's why we say creation screams for a creator. Brother Brett. There's just too many things that are just too precise. You know, if the planet was just a little bit further from the sun, we'd freeze. Yeah. If it was any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. Right. You know, the, the revolution of the planet, everything, gravity, everything is just too perfect. Mm -hmm. It's so in, incredibly precise. And, and for people to say it happened by accident, it's just yep. you ever think about you ever, you ever think about the eye of a fly? Man, now, first of all, I'm not so happy that that eye works so well because they see me when I'm trying to swat them away, right? Because they have an eye that sees like in every direction. It's incredible. But isn't isn't it a magnificent eye? I mean, that fly can see stuff coming up behind it because of the way its eye is designed. It's amazing. Just blood. It's made in the wrong bones. It's made in your bones. So the bones would have had to exist first. And alongside the lungs, Right, right, right. And the, and the scripture proves all these things out. What we've known in science, is, you know, is blood necessary to live? Yes, it is. And you know what? The Bible tells us it is. It tells us that the blood is the lifeline of the body. But back in old days, what did they do when somebody had a terrible disease? They bloodled them. And basically they killed them off. Not knowing they were killing them off, they thought they were helping them. But they tried to what? They tried to drain it, right? I mean, that's what they used to do medicinally. They tried to blood let them and drain the blood, thinking the disease would come out in the blood and the person would die. Why? Because we need blood. And the Bible proves that out and teaches us that. You know, for, for I don't even know how long, people thought the earth was flat. All they had to do was read the scripture, and the scripture tells us that it's a sphere. It's not flat. And so, but but we we had times when people thought, you know, I'm sure we've all seen the pictures of the ship sailing off the map into oblivion. You know, it's like going over the edge because the earth is flat. And that's but that's what people believed. All they need to do is do what? Read their Bible. Because their Bible tells them the earth is a sphere. It even talks about the poles. You know, and uh, things like that. You know, we talk about the North Pole and the South Pole. Talk, scripture talks about these. I don't even know where we're going with all that. It's not in my notes. Anyway, but, but all these things are proofs. They're evidences in creation that point to a creator. Creation shows that there must be a creator. These things don't happen by accident. Listen, who would have ever guessed... Oh, I got my flashlight on. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, that I would hold in my hand something that is far more powerful than anything we had when even I was a teenager. I'm not that old. But this phone, I mean, I literally have probably 2,000 songs on this phone. I'm holding in my hand a complete computer that I can look up anything. I can communicate with people all over the world. I can find out what's happening all over the world with it. All that fits... In the palm of my hand. And it's a watch. And it's a watch, too. Yeah, it does everything, right? I mean, it's my alarm clock. Oh, I can pay bills with it. You know, I pull up and pay my bills with it. You know, who would have thought 50 years ago we'd have this? But why do we have this today? Because somebody made it. it we weren't just sitting in an office one day and all of a sudden an iPhone popped onto somebody's desk and the guy goes, ooh, look at this. 
I guess I can sell these for, you know, $1,000 a piece. You know, that didn't happen, right? And some executive was not sitting at his desk, and iPhones just started popping up out of nowhere. But that's how crazy the evolutionist is. He wants us to think that the guy was sitting at his desk one day, and iPhones just started appearing on the desk to sell. That's what the evolutionist wants us to buy into, that kind of philosophy. But creation shows that there is a designer. So we have this note, the second note on the back page. It says, uh, innate truth and creation leaves man with what? No excuse. No, and that's our verse back in, back in Romans 1.20. We are left, we are left with no excuse. So we've studied inner revelation and we've studied this week and part of last week, external revelation. Next week, we're going to get into point number three here, which is historical revelation. The idea of man knowing that God exists. And I think it's going to be really interesting as we get in here because, uh, because we're going to see there were a couple times in history. You can think about this, see if you can come up with them. There were a couple times in history where every man that lived on the face of the earth knew, knew that God existed. So you think about what times those were. We'll talk about that next week. That'll give you something to think through. What were the two times in history that every man on the earth knew that God existed? There's two of them that we can mention, and then we'll go from there. So, All right, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for the day, for your blessings. Lord, thank you for the time, for this study. And Lord, I just pray to help us to develop our biblical worldview, help us to understand uh, what is in the world, why we believe what we believe, and be able to, to Lord, make a case for, for the things that we believe to be. And, Lord, we're just thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful for your creation that shows us your existence and shows us the order that you have in things. And, Lord, we pray that you dismiss us, each one, safely uh, tonight home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.